0: W Media.
1: Welcome to Feminist Buzzkills Live, the podcast that has lasted seven times longer than the Liz Truss Show. I'm Liz Winston, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Moji Almodayel. Hello, and Marie Khan.
2: Hello, all. Coming up on today's show, we are joined by Dahlia Lithwick, senior editor, legal expert, and fresh from writing Lady Justice, a book that we all need on our shelves. And comedian, writer, and host of the new podcast, Parenting is a Joke, Afira Eisenberg drops by to laugh and rage about her reproductive choices, first and foremost being having children.
1: But first, I want to talk about Mississippi giving tax breaks to corporations who donate to fake clinics. What? Yep, that's right. The state of Mississippi has decided that it is going to give tax breaks to corporations who are giving to fake clinics. And here's the kicker a lot of them are oil and gas companies. And the other kicker is. Oh, I don't know. They have to be approved by the right-wing illiterati of Mississippi to qualify as an organization that's valuable enough. To give money to. It's a shit show. Moji. It's
3: such a shit show. Also, the architect of the bill, uh, somebody named Drink Taylor, sorry, Jameson Taylor. <laughs> whiskey uh, Taylor. Boxtrot, whiskey. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he said specifically that it works because even businesses that aren't explicitly anti-choice, right? Even businesses that are just like, we have no skin in this game, or we are even pro-choice end up supporting this because you know what corporations like more than uh, taking over the world? Um tax breaks. They love tax breaks. And Ah. Mississippi has set aside almost $3.5 million in tax credits already just for this year that's almost over.
1: But talk about, Moji, who gets the money? Who gets the money?
3: Anti-abortion centers get the money. Places that don't provide any kind of health care get the money. Places that lie to pregnant people all the time. Um, Also places that kind of seem a little irrelevant now, like, we're in Mississippi, can you get an abortion anyway?
2: Well, that's that's another, like, this would be horrible anywhere, but we're talking about Mississippi, the place that Brett Favre is taking funds away from WIC, like state funds for people, like WIC, this, the, the, it's amazing and astounding the way these funds are being grabbed away from where they could actually end up. Where they could do some help, where they could actually help people. Now they're going to big oil, literally, instead of going to where they could actually do help. And as you said, Liz, Big Oil has been donating. They already know they have a list of people that they know are going to get rebates off of this.
1: And the thing is, I just have to reiterate, these are not clinics that provide prenatal care or any kind of care. They These places are these fake clinics that throw some diapers and a prayer at you that every single one of them has a foundational commitment to spreading the gospel of anti-abortion hate and not helping people who I would, I don't know that I would say I would be okay with, but if Mississippi wanted to give corporations tax breaks to fund low income people to get free prenatal care and, and care for their pregnancies,
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, I guess, but no.
3: Better to than re- this
1: yeah. by far. To save the credit, you the the centers that get the money have to be certified by Choose Life Mississippi, who fought tirelessly to close down the clinics in Mississippi. So it's not even about funding care, it's about funding an ideology. And that shit is
3: bullshit. And truthfully, Whiskey said specifically that. Supporting the movement, not supporting pregnant people, not supporting people who need help, not supporting poor, not even supporting the goddamn unborn, which is, you know, not a thing. Um, supporting
1: the movement. Right. And the framing, I'm sure, to the corporations. I mean, the whole thing about gaslighting the corporations is like, you know, some of them are like, I don't care what you do, I'll just get a tax break. But also, maybe there are corporations out there in the world that would be like, wait, hold up. You didn't give me the full story. You know, it it just, the whole thing feels fucked up and wrong. Obviously, we're going to put the uh, the link to this article in the show notes, but this should be bigger news. This should be much bigger news to so the clinic that literally was the last one standing in Mississippi, now gone, people desperate for care and corporations are getting funded to come there because they get a tax break to give money to the clinics that don't do anything except shame pregnant people desperate for the care they need fuck that shit fuck
3: that shit for real
1: should we move on to the good news i feel like maybe we should move on to the good news is there good news there's good news maybe there's a little good news in this economy i know we have some big stories to break (laughs) down but as you all know before we get to our bigger stories we love to just give you some quick hits of the good the bad and the uh continuing garbage that happens so um I'll kick off with the good. This week, President Biden held a press conference announcing he will codify Roe v. Wade if Dems keep the House and expand the Senate. In a related story, I will pay for all the abortions in the country from now till forever if I win the lottery.
3: Mm -hmm. Don't sound like exactly the same things to me. (laughs) 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 On Monday, House Democrats introduced a a bill, a resolution that would give the FDA authority over states to regulate access to abortion bills. This you know, the hope is that the FDA having this authority would override these individual state bans on medication abortion and also allow the U.S. Attorney General to take action against states that enact laws that limits a patient ability to get them. And many states already have these on the books. So perhaps this will pass when Liz wins the lottery.
1: Yeah. keyword hope here and <laughs> hoping that the Senate is going to end the filibuster and then allow this to pass. And like, oh, my God, a lot of hope. So these haven't been that good of stories. Marie, do you have an actual good story? I
2: do. I I have a story of someone in office currently I'm here to remind you all that Tish James, my Attorney General of New York State, just how awesome she is. Not only did she make the choice to have to give a really candid disclosure of her own abortion story back in May at a rally, she's now encouraging voter education and turnout, specifically centering reproductive rights. And in many states, attorneys general, those folks are elected, so these roles can really greatly affect abortion access. And it varies from red to blue to purple states whether that position is elected. So tish james wants you to do your voter research and say the
1: word abortion okay let's say it for tish should we do it one two three here's for tish one two three abortion abortion Abortion.
3: i just want to say you could have a tish james or you could have a daniel cameron what do you want people what do you want what
4: do you
2: want yep yep plus in the southwest we have a bright spot in arizona Once Roe fell, there's been a back and forth in whether a law from 1864 banning basically all abortion is now active or if the 15 week ban that was passed earlier this year is the one people should be living under. We'll leave you alone to puzzle that problem out. We find both versions trash and repugnant, but at least due to the Arizona Court of Appeals, legal care is still available up to 15 weeks.
1: It's kind of like the opposite. It's the opposite of Sophie's choice. (laughs) Gee, which which one can I pick? Can you just take them both? Yes. I don't have love for either. I don't want. No, They're like, you need to
2: stay pregnant and also maybe die because we don't care about your health care.
1: Also, can I just remind the two of you those were the good news stories? Oh, gosh. Yes, We should really look
3: into seeing if good news means what we think it does because those are not great news stories.
1: We were really scraping uh, to find some good news because we we don't want to just be the bearer of awful. But I'm going to roll into the bad because here I go. Here's the good news. Ohio has a indefinite... Stay on their six week abortion ban. So people are providing abortion care in Ohio. Awesome. You say, Liz, why is that in the bad news? Oh, because Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost is appealing a judge's order blocking the six week abortion ban. And he is tirelessly trying to harm people. This is the same dude who went on Fox News when that poor 10 year old had to seek an abortion in Indiana because of the Ohio six-week he went on Fox and he actually said, quote, there is not a damn scintilla of evidence that this person exists. And shame on the Indianapolis paper that ran this thing on a single source who has an obvious ax to grind.
3: We know he has an ax to grind.
1: <sighs> Fuck you.
3: Diet of fire. Oh, I have some other terrible
1: news. Oh,
3: great. Pro-life no matter what just sounds like a benign political opinion, but in the state of Louisiana, officials were ready to withhold funding to complete essential flood protection in New Orleans solely because the city's attorney general was unwilling, is, remains unwilling to prosecute people who have abortions. And that's right. That means elected officials in the state that brought you Hurricane katrina I saw those pictures, think that a repeat of citywide flooding would be perfectly fine so long as people who need abortion care are properly penalized for seeking it.
2: And now from the bad, we are going to move on to the continued fuckery. This November, Kentucky voters will need to vote yes or no on this important bodily autonomy question. Are you in favor of amending the Constitution of Kentucky by creating a new section of the Constitution to state as follows? And this is the important part to protect human life, nothing in this constitution shall be construed to secure or protect a right to abortion or require the funding of abortion, question mark. So as Shaka Khan, my categories, this is a confusing LSAT puzzle. Your buzzkills did the work and voters literally have to vote no in order to support abortion on this. I have no idea. You Liz and Moji are just shaking their heads
1: I, I would have said yes. I didn't understand I would have a fucking thing <laughs> said. Yeah.
3: I would have absolutely said yes.
1: That that
2: from the state that sort of half outlawed no-knock warrants. It's still a thing.
1: So Oh right. You, oh, it, that's Daniel Cameron's state, my yeah. boyfriend. Yeah, Daniel yep. Cameron. Worst uh, AG in the land. One of them anyway. <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe the Ohio guy is too. It's a mystery wrapped in a riddle. Um
2: oh Marie, you have one more story. I do. I do. North Carolina. Their politicians are again playing Dr. God under the covers with their constituents. They are trying to make it a state law that only doctors can prescribe abortion pills. Providers are fighting back and went to state trial on Monday to block enforcement. They asked the court to invalidate multiple state laws on the basis that they violate several fundamental rights protected by the North Carolina Constitution. And currently nurses, midwives and physician's assistants are just some of the folks who have been able to provide legal medication care in the state. And this would be a huge step back if that was taken away.
1: Well, at least they're fighting. God bless them. So, you know, I guess we had the the. I don't know if we had any good stories. Maybe we had one. I don't know. They might win just... the lottery.
2: That's okay. Hey, I about that. I mean,
1: yeah, we're just throwing some shit against the wall here. That feels right. Great. I want an
2: abortion. If you yeah. Liz, if you win the lottery, I'll go out of my way to get pregnant so you can have the honor of buying me an abortion.
1: Oh my God. I would I would try. I hope you would get knocked up, Marie, on purpose, just so I could buy you that. Abortion.
2: Yes, yes, because that's what everyone thinks, thinks <laughs> the pro what... the pro aborts do. That's one
1: thing think we all do, right? I remember oh. having somebody say, I know people who get pregnant and have abortions for money for stem cell research and i'm like or you don't no you don't are they the same people that dress up like cats and then there's a litter box outside the in the school <laughs> is it the same people <laughs> fucking assholes anyway we gotta keep moving as always these stories will be in the show notes so you can read all about them and realize that we're not just making this up and we always want to remind you at this point in the show that the best most up to the minute resource on accessing abortion care and funding for your care is an com. and of course we got that in the show notes so let's get to our bigger stories the bs is popping moji Set oh yeah i got this
3: all right so abortion bans they they're like popcorn uh but they're poorly thought out incredibly harmful and Truthfully, really cruel. So several stories emerged this week of pregnant people in crisis who were unable to get care in their state, not because doctors didn't know what to do, but because the pro-life no matter what laws have not actually thought through what no matter what means. And what it means is that people can't get care until they are in sepsis and close to death. It means doctors have to watch people's health deteriorate before they can provide care. It means pregnant people have to hold dead or dying fetuses inside of their bodies for days or weeks. And it means no one, not even your elected official, will help. All of this is preventable harm that people now have to suffer through in too many states in this country. And while people are suffering, politicians will lie, and say these laws are designed to protect them and they're lying. So like, I'm gonna just start with Texas. Um, Texas had a story of a patient who was 18 weeks pregnant. They'd lost her amniotic fluid, right? And amniotic fluid is basically what a fetus floats in and develops in. And once you lose it, it's not much happening. Miscarriage is imminent. But because of Texas, because she was in Texas, because of Texas's abortion law, she had to wait three days until she was feverish and weak with infection, unable to walk down the hallway in the hospital to have the abortion that was needed to save her life. But if the doctors had a por- performed the abortion before she was close to death, they could have been charged with a felony. I just want to remind you, Texas's abortion ban criminalizes performing an abortion from the moment of fertilization to unless the pregnant person is facing a life-threatening, physical condition aggravated by caused by or arising from a pregnancy. And the penalties for a doctor are a $100,000 civil fine and or life in prison. So it's not like oh we'll just pay this, right? Like it's a lot. It's really harrowing and this is one story that emerged, but this is not the only story.
1: These stories are just so tragic because the state the ambiguity of it is it it feels really scary to me. And you know, in the Texas case in particular, the one thing that i found really unbelievable was she faces long term implications from having to wait she said that you know this bacterial infection created such scar tissue in her uterus so severe that they not only had to surgically remove it they don't know if if she's able to ever have kids again and how fucked up is that
3: also and i don't want to in any way Um, prioritize um, wanted pregnancies, but this was a wanted pregnancy with a privileged family. They had healthcare, they had insurance, they are educated and it seems like financially comfortable people. I don't see what's pro-life about making her suffer and risking her fertility. And again, this is one story we heard about in Texas. This can't be the only story in Texas. There could be complimentary stories happening at the same time. And I also wonder like of stories we don't hear that are framed under Texas's abysmal maternal mortality um, rate, You know, it might be like, oh, a person died because they didn't get the abortion they needed. And maybe that's not classified as like, that's the problem. It's just a sort of maternal mortality. Right. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and we also know, Moji, this is random because we were talking about this not being recorded earlier in the week about how Texas uh, Department of Health isn't releasing statistics right. that they were supposed to release now for, a that would would influence elections, will influence funding decisions. All these things aren't happening. So we're not able to see the actual harm out of this. Those folks that don't have the privilege to talk to people and advocate for themselves that have just had to stay in Texas and have passed away, have suffered because of this pregnancy. We're not going to see any of that. We were supposed to in September and Texas decided, no, those aren't going to be out until 2023.
1: Yeah. So it's just this let them die pile up of bureaucracy and human lives are at stake. It's terrible. And the story out of Tennessee is, you know, it's it's just so interesting to me to hear how these stories play out and just how cruelty can have so many heads like a hydra, right? In Tennessee, a woman who was in her second trimester pregnancy um, was diagnosed with a pregnancy that was incompatible with life. And because pregnancy or abortion is not allowed in Tennessee and the woman's blood pressure started rising because she couldn't terminate the pregnancy, um, she had to be taken to a sick in a six hour ambulance ride to North Carolina to get her abortion. When she got to the hospital, hundreds of miles away, her blood pressure was at this point through the roof and she was showing signs of kidney failure. Now, this law in Tennessee has a different kind of twist because while like most of these laws, it makes providing abortion a felony, uh, it doesn't contain the explicit exceptions for abortion at all. So what Tennessee does is say, um, you can provide an abortion that's necessary to prevent death or serious permanent bodily injury, but the doctor has to prove the procedure was necessary in a court that's trying to ban all abortions in something that's known as affirmative defense. And 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 the the AP describes affirmative defense as instead of the state having to prove that the procedure was not medically necessary, the law shifts the burden to the doctor to convince the court it was. Uh, bans in North Dakota and Idaho both which are currently blocked. Also, you use this affirmative defense language. Um, No exceptions. Only that the doctors can use defenses after the fact. But guess what's not? No doctors providing any care. And
3: And why would you? We talked about affirmative defense when we talked about a lawyer who literally in Tennessee who left her job specifically because she read this. It was like, what the fuck? And she like, because- how do you work in that framework? Like, yeah, it's impossible. Also, what really stood out to me, besides the obvious harm to the pregnant person, there was that a note that OBGYNs are not being allowed to talk about these harms that are exacerbated by abortion ban. And there was a doctor that they named specifically in the story, um, and they're moving their practice out of Tennessee. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. their doctor it was the doctor of this patient is yeah the doctor of this patient California. is
3: moving they're moving out of tennessee because they were like i can't work in these conditions and it's true as a doctor you're signing up for either like being sued having to affirmatively defend yourself or watching your patients dies that's a sophie's choice that nobody wants either right right yeah.
0: well
2: said emoji Well, to round this out, um, letting you all know about in Missouri this last August, a 41-year-old woman outside of Joplin who was just under 18 weeks, she had her water break, experiencing vaginal bleeding and other symptoms. Her doctors told her the news that sadly, her desired pregnancy, which again, not a context for abortion, but is does matter for this story, would not be able to survive. And she needed an abortion, which was not an option in her state. Missouri statute says providers cannot intervene in the setting of a pregnancy with a positive fetal heart motion unless there is a medical emergency, which, of course, Missouri as a state leaves intentionally back. What followed for this pregnant person was calling out to three other states to try to get care. And she called her state senator, Bill White, specifically to address how this legislation was actively working to kill her. His office responded by recommending Attorney General Eric Schmidt and also connecting her with Choices Medical Services, a fake clinic in Joplin. Melissa said that this clinic was unhelpful and slowed my progress for actual care. This pregnant person finally arrived at Hope Clinic in Southern Illinois, where she could have a legal abortion and went into labor and got her care. But what she didn't get to do in any of this whole journey was have the comfort and closure of being close at home to mourn with her friends and family around, with doctors she trusted and knew and knew her medical history. And what was forced, it's just, it's horrific.
1: These definitions of how, what intervening is, like, Mm -hmm. it's, you, I can't stress the dehumanization enough. Like, the only way intervention could happen in Missouri is if her vital signs plummeted or infection set in or the, or like you said, the fetus had no longer had cardiac activity. If those things happen in your home or wherever you are, do you have a chance to even get to the doctor to save yourself? You know what I mean? Like the the lack of thought these assholes put into this is just astounding.
2: Oh, and that's the other
1: fucking thing, Liz, because they have the
2: benefit of all the advanced thought. Missouri could only predict this type of medical need would occur. They worked hard for this. They gleefully planned for abortion to be banned when Roe fell. And Moji, I think you said willful harm earlier. That is exactly what the state's doing. It's only acting in willful reproductive harm. And in this particular person, we only know about it, again, because she lived and she had the strength to talk about this and the support of a partner. She had structure. She had all of this. She still is not privileged, but she had enough privilege that she got to have this voice.
3: Also, like, a legislator who does not know that a fake clinic can do nothing for a person in, like, any sort of obstetric crisis should not be legislating about what we do, right? Like, the fact that he's like, oh, my gosh, this you're having a, a, a thing go to a, a fake clinic. Do, do you not know what fake kids do? Do you not know what these anti-abortion clinics do? do they you, don't know. They keep saying they not, provide
1: care. They give them all the tax dollars. They do don't you, fucking know. You
3: don't know that they don't have doctors or medical licenses. Like it's so wild to me that like they'll they'll put all these faith in these in these what are these snake oil salesmen, right? And then they'll just throw their constituents at them. Mm-hmm. It's wild. It is. Anyway, and like you said Liz like, you know what, you should be th- if you're gonna if you're gonna outlaw abortion, then like throw your money at prenatal care. Fund a daycare. Fund something that helps people, not these fake clinics that are useless. Right.
2: Yep. And Something that I think is interesting by these three examples and scenarios, that a need for abortion, including for the health of the pregnant person, for the comfort of the fetus, all of that can emerge at any time during a pregnancy. So really, I'd like to flag for our listeners that um, all of these three people's reproductive journeys, they happen to need life-saving abortion care in the second trimester, and then two of them after 17 weeks. So we've got to see the place for abortion care, actual full-spectrum care at any stage of pregnancy. And we also need to remember that in all of these situations, too, even when fetal demise has happened, the fetus is dead, someone is still carrying that dead septic pregnancy. So they are still considered pregnant and they're still being forced to be a vessel of the state.
1: That's right. And I think that's so important, Marie. Also, just a reminder that in the landscape of abortion care, when we talk about protecting all abortions, we mean that because while medication abortion is revolutionary. For a lot of things, people who have problems in the second trimester and the third trimester, they need medical intervention and they need to get it. And and at this point in our nation, it is mostly the independent clinics that provide that care and some hospitals, and we need to be fighting for all of that. So I just want to say that. So, you know, these are just a few of the stories in a pile of horrible stories like this. And unless people decide that abortion is important enough to prioritize in these upcoming elections and in their ongoing activism, these stories will become a permanent reality and do not think you will not be affected by it because you will. This is not a privileged thing. This is an everybody thing. You will not be protected. So I think it's the perfect time to move on and talk about the importance of the justice system in this fight. Uh, And we have the perfect guest to do that. Marie?
2: Yes. Joining us today is Dahlia Lithwick. Dahlia is a senior editor and legal correspondent at Slate and the host of the podcast, Amicus, which breaks down everything you need to know about what the Supreme Court is up to. Her new book, Lady Justice, Women, the Law, and the Battle to Save America, tells the gripping and heroic story of the women lawyers who have fought the racism, sexism, and xenophobia of Donald Trump's presidency and won.
1: Hi,
0: Dahlia. Hi, Dahlia. So Hi good guys. to see you. Thank you for having me. It's good to be back even under dire, direish <laughs> circumstances. It's good to be with you. Yes.
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about this new topic, your book, Lady Justice. It's all about the great female legal minds of the justice system who fought back and won against attacks. And I think that a key takeaway for us um, is the importance of realizing how the Supreme Court with no women on it deliberated on cases like Griswold or Roe v. Wade versus now how a court that has women on it uh, discusses more recent cases like Whole Women's Health v. Hellerstead. And I was hoping you could open by talking about the those differences you saw.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, in some sense, the book starts with those oral arguments in whole women's health, because for me, it was like we were just a breath away from something really spectacular. And of course, the book ends with Dobbs, where we're really far away from that (laughs) thing. Um, And so it's not an entirely um, hopeful arc, but... I really was struck uh, when I went and covered oral arguments in Whole Women's Health. And that was an earlier attempt by the state of Texas to essentially pass a bunch of onerous regulations that had no purpose other than to close clinics. And oral argument was really moving because you had three women justices, you had women oral advocates, you had Chief Justice John Roberts trying to keep time and like Ruth Bader Ginsburg just shouting him down and being like, let her finish, give her more time. And I had contrasted it to. You know, in Griswold, which was the case before Roe, the precursor to Roe, that established that there's a constitutional right to use contraception within your marriage. And I contrasted the arguments in Griswold, where it was a bunch of men talking to men and they're like trying to talk about birth control, but they're so embarrassed they won't even name the devices. They actually tell each other not to name the devices. They're like, okay, no need to name what it is that we're in. And then you have this like, Comedy routine where nobody even knows what it is that's being regulated by the state of Connecticut. And so for me, the progression to talking about women's bodies in the third person, low information. My wife once told me that, you know, if you have and it's crazy, like, how can you regulate something if you can't even freaking name the thing you're regulating? And then to get to, for me, to Whole Women's Health in 2016, where the actual justices are saying actual words and they are women in the room and uh, advocates are talking about women's lives. And it's no longer this ridiculous kind of patriarchal structure where men decide with men, among men, about women's bodies. And so I really was completely moved at the time by what felt like an inching towards women being visible to the Constitution, and I guess I will just say, womp, womp, fast forward to 2022 and Dobbs, and you're right back squarely in the land of you know, Samuel Alito writing, we talked about this, I know, after Docs, but writing about, you know, witch burners with approval and writing about, you know, women's lives without any reference to economic hardship or medical hardship. And we're right back to that time, you know, of the drafting of the 14th amendment where women are all but immaterial. So we moved, I think we really surged forward in whole women's health. And I think we've slid back.
1: Also, the right
0: women on the court, you know, it's like women
1: actually are not um, sitting and enjoying um, the proximity to white supremacy. So it benefits them. You know, you see that shift in women from RBG to Amy Coney Barrett, and you see the detriment of women who are here to serve at the pleasure of men and how terrible it is.
0: Yeah, and Amy Coney Barrett becoming somehow a voice for there's no burden on women in forced pregnancy because they can just you know drop the baby off at the fire station and you know as somebody who's both had children and adopted children, the fatuousness of the claim that there's no hardship on women and the idea that a woman would speak those words and that that would get sewn into the Alito opinion. It's just, you know, I've been saying it's so painful to watch as this term begins that we're going to have, you know, a Latina, a Black woman, and a Jewish woman on the descent of absolutely everything. Yeah. Absolutely everything. And what does that say, both about women's progress, but also women that cannot claw their way out of this box that we've been in for, you know, centuries?
3: And also women. Yeah, it's just it's it's funny because I did not even think about the fact that we yeah, we have all these women and then we have one woman who is so white and she is sitting there with the patriarchy happy. Um, one of the things I really loved about Lady Justice is also that it introduced us to incredible women like Polly Murray, who like, I think I know lots of things, but I had not known about her and whose ideas have been co-opted and uncredited. And can we talk a little bit about Polly Murray and how her ideas have had a profound role in shaping some of the liberties we have today?
0: Yes. And I'm so glad you asked that question because I'm totally obsessed with Polly Murray. and I, I'm
3: I- just going to say I got the book right after like reading about her in your book, I got yeah. Her book.
0: <laughs> no, I, I I actually spent um, this weekend rereading uh, Polly Murray's autobiography because I think Polly Murray is. We all live in the s- slipstream of Polly Murray's uh, work, and none mm-hmm. of us. And I went to law school, and nobody taught me about Polly Murray. So it, it, Polly Murray is kind of everywhere and nowhere in constitutional thought, and I feel the way you do, which is it's kind of such an arresting sin of who gets famous and who gets credit that Pauli Murray isn't, doesn't have an endowed chair in every university in the country. So the very short version, and I really urge people not just to read, you know, there's some amazing books. There's uh, an autobiography. There's also an incredible film that Julie Cohen and Betsy West uh, made last year called my name is Polly Murray. And I really want, if, if nothing else, uh, I want people to be as obsessed with Polly as I am. I will start just by saying Polly Murray might want to be called they today. Uh, We're very much mm-hmm. gender, um, Non conforming before there was language for that or any structural support for that. But Pauli Murray is this amazing constitutional warrior who, uh, because Pauli Murray is a woman or presents as a woman, can't get into um, Harvard Law School because Pauli Murray is Black, can't get into UNC. Pauli Murray gets every single door closed and yet somehow knocks out a paper at Howard Law School uh, where she graduates top in her class that becomes without credit without being informed the central theory that becomes Brown v. Board of Education, which is Thurgood Marshall's argument in Brown. That's Polly Murray. Finds out years later, by the way. Oh, whoops, we took your law school paper, and that was the spine of the argument in Brown. Uh, Same thing later, uh, RBG cites Polly Murray, this time at least, puts uh, Polly Murray's name on the brief in one of the singularly most important cases to do with gender discrimination and using the 14th Amendment uh, to fight uh, gender discrimination. And Polly Murray, part of the reason I'm obsessed is like what you just said and I just said, which is how does history ultimately just completely erase this person? Yeah. But also, I think Polly Murray, for me, becomes an avatar of how women do change. And it's not necessarily Bob Mueller is going to save us and Adam Schiff is going to save us and we're all going to sit back and wait for the next guy to save us. I think women have been doing change standing on the shoulders of other women, particularly black and brown women for centuries. And that one of the things I a little bit wanted to do in the book is counter-program that kind of, if I just buy enough RBG tote bags and t-shirts, then I too, you know, am engaging deeply with uh, reform work and democracy building, because I just think that's a really disempowering way to do, you know, social justice. And so I wanted to both lift up somebody who RBG always said, by the way, I stand on the shoulders of giants and always name check Polly Murray, but also to sort of think about the ways in which Women actually bring about legal, constitutional, statutory change. It's always in huge armies. It's always people who are doing six things at once, spinning all these plates. It's always people who don't get credit and don't claim credit because it doesn't matter. And I think maybe what I wanted to do was say that in this moment, when we are freaking the heck out, that all those women are all around us every day doing the work. And we might not have the tote bags and the T-shirts, but they're amazing. And we should be lifting them up.
1: I agree, and so oh my god, I
3: love that answer! <laughs>
1: it's such a good answer. And you know, as a point of personal privilege, I was so glad that Bridget Mary was in the book because you and I have a special relationship around that case. Yes, we did, um, and it was—I I, just—I she argued something that I believe, and we've been talking about this. And there was very few people that talked about it in the media at the time. You were one of them our podcast did a whole episode about it. Rachel Maddow did. Uh, But it was was a case that was a foreshadowing of how horrible our country could become. And shame on Susan Collins for not understanding this case when Brett Kavanaugh was showing his whole ass in her face. And she's like, I'm going to talk to him instead of watching something that he wrote. And I just wondered if you would talk a little bit about this case of Jane Doe, an undocumented young person at the border who had every right to get an abortion and had this horrible man named Scott Lloyd step in her way and Bridget married being just like coming in and, and taking her through.
0: Yeah. And it's true, Liz, you and I were together uh, at the end of that case and also I think watched while uh, the Trump Justice Department tried to sanction Bridget for, for doing that case effectively and for winning. Um, and that was horrifying. And you're right. I think the case, you know, in in one sense, you know, we can look back and it was this shocking case where, as you said, teen migrant at the border had already been given a waiver to terminate a pregnancy by a Texas judge, not an easy feat. A Texas judge had said, yes, you can terminate the pregnancy. And then, as Liz just said, uh, you know, we had a government uh, supported shelter that simply would not open the door and let her out. In no small measure, because F. Scott Lloyd, who was in charge of the shelters, actually didn't care about migrants or refugees or anything. He just cared about, we found out later, tracking teen girls' periods so that he could keep track of who was fertile and who wasn't. And he could literally use his power and stature as a government actor, to go and talk them out of abortions. That was what he saw his job as. And shocking as that whole story is, uh, as Liz just said, the administration jumped in behind him. And he had, at every turn, he had the administration supporting the claim that somehow A woman's constitutionally protected right to abortion doesn't matter if you're a migrant teen at the border because why? I don't know, you're poor because the state has some interest in preserving quote unquote life. And the only other thing I'll say is that Bridget won and while they threatened to... sanction her she was not sanctioned and we can look at that case as another one of those examples. it's where you started where you know we won huge but then we lost because under Dobbs none of that triumph matters. but I also think and and I think you said this Liz, but I want to say it again, it was such an emblem of how they would go for the poor and the brown. And the parentless, you know, somebody who did not have the resources to fight, that they would start uh, with people of color at the border because that's always where it starts. And so for me, I think of this case as sort of of a piece with conversations I've had since Dobbs with a lot of uh, repro activists who keep reminding me that if you were shocked when Dobbs was overturned, you were never a Black woman in Mississippi.
1: As Jane Doe went through the court system to access her abortion. Finally, she was granted it, but there was a dissenting opinion written in the lower court. Do you want to tell
0: everybody who wrote that dissenting opinion? Why, that was feminist champion Brett Kavanaugh. Mm -hmm. Did you know he coaches women's sports? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he wrote, and it wasn't just that he wrote the opinion. I mean, I think this is your point about the writing was on the wall before he went into his confirmation hearing because he wrote an utterly gratuitous dissent when the DC Circuit allowed the abortion to happen and believe it or not it had to go all the way to the highest you know court right below the Supreme Court before and the clock was ticking we should say because at very 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 imminent for uh, the plaintiff in this case well she was just going to lose the ability to terminate her pregnancy in Texas and Justice Kavanaugh, then Judge Kavanaugh, writes an opinion that is so clearly an audition for the Supreme Court. Donald Trump had already promised he was only going to put people who overturn Roe onto the bench. He had already done that uh, with Neil Gorsuch. And you're exactly right. He's putting words like abortion on demand. You know, these words that actually have no constitutional meaning, they're just SoundCloud. You know, I'm, I'm narrow casting to the president and the uh, pro-life community that I too, while I have not written opinion, on this uh, and prepared to overturn Roe. And so I think it's really important for people who say, who could have known what Brett Kavanaugh would do in Dobbs? He literally wrote an unnecessary dissent using a whole bunch of language that told us very, very clearly, look at me, President Trump, I'm here too. And I want to be on the top of your shortlist. And by the way, he went from not being on Trump's shortlist to being the shortlist.
2: Exactly. Thank you so much, Dahlia, for joining us. I really wanted to just comment and just shout out a really rich chapter you did on Stacey Abrams. This should be required high school rating. It's, It's just this beautiful piece. You wrap up so much and show how it is so important and contemporary for us to understand this and actively work against this. And as you talked about too, look at the shoulders of the Black women we're standing on that are still out here doing all of this work. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Dahlia.
3: Thank you so much to Dahlia for joining us. You can follow her on Instagram, Dahlia underscore L-I-T-H, and Twitter, Dahlia Lithwick. And you can purchase Lady Justice in stores and online now. But let's go to a break couldn't do this podcast without the help of our fake sponsors. And today, FBKL is excited to talk about Liagra, the little spew pill. Have you ever been shouting whore at abortion patients when, uh-oh, all of a sudden you get an erection? Or maybe you popped the Waldo when you were screaming, stop this deal at the Capitol on January 6th. Sound familiar? Then you need Liagra. Liagra is the anti-boner supplement that prevents your joystick from revealing your lust for lies, which means you can keep those passionate feelings for oppression to yourself while preventing the woke mob from canceling you on their quest to enjoy for the rest of us. But don't take our word for it. Liagra ambassador Joe Rogan swears by it, saying the time release capsule means Liagra is effective through an entire podcast taping. And Liagra manufacturer Elizabeth Holmes says she has had to add on to her garage to keep up with the demand. So before you head out to that next men's right convention, pick up some Liagra. If you order now using promo code BONERBUZZKILL, you can get 10% off your first case. Liagra, when you need to dull your shame sword.
1: That's a terrible product.
3: You know we have the best sponsors.
1: I, just the Waldo. (laughs) <laughs> yeah waldo there you go use it use it and use it in your life marie use it in Pop, your life
2: yes popping a waldo yes <laughs>
1: <Popping> a waldo, <laughs> to be honest i was
3: that. really i was taken by shame sword i was kind of into shame sword <laughs>
1: a lot happening with liagra you know a lot happening um I think it's time. Let's bring on comedian, writer, and host, Ophira Eisenberg. You may know her from the hilarious NPR's Ask Me Another R.I.P. But the good news, her new podcast on iHeart, Parenting is a Joke, is even better.
4: Please welcome Ophira Eisenberg.
1: Hi, Ophira.
4: Liz, hello. It's funny because I know we are typically in blocks away from each other, but here we are. Here we are.
1: I'm super excited for your podcast because of course, you know, I was a big fan of your NPR show and I was a guest on it a couple of times, but I have to say I'm super psyched about this because you talking about parenting is some of the honest shit out there. And years ago, my sister said to me, Liz, I have to be able to call you and tell you that I hate my children and you can't judge me <laughs> and you need to know that it's like I'm in the moment and I'm not going to do anything. And you're not going to judge me. But I feel like you speak to people like in a way that is fucking needed right now. Thank
3: Says you. the woman who only has abortions.
1: Okay, that's. <laughs> I mean, again, it's true. Um, why are you talking people out of having babies? Wrong? I'm so yeah.
4: well, you know this this pregnancy ultimately was. Uh, I couldn't think of anything that was more a choice. <laughs> like most people <laughs> of my age, when they do it, you make so many choices. <laughs> to try to make choices. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So what is it? What what when people listen, what
1: are they what are they going to be
4: thinking when they listen? Like what can people expect? I would say, so the inspiration from this project for me was, you know, I did this later in life, so uh, I planned most of my life not to have a kid, and then it happened, and then I was lost because I'd never focused on kids, basically disowned any of my friends that had children, just being <laughs> honest, and then I was working in stand-up, which talk about like a place that doesn't really uh, oh. attract people that are... Oh. A welcome environment um, for parenting. Yeah, a welcome that, it's like mm-hmm. everything's the opposite, and even the... The, the image of a standup is very independent, right? So uh, I was searching for, I was like, where's the smart stuff out there about parenting? That was even hard to find because just most people were talking about, if you can believe it, very traditional lives.
3: Oh, I believe I'm a parent. I'm also a later parent that has a very choice. But I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't listen to podcasts because like parenting podcasts, because it's like, oh, how to build the perfect Montessori household or like or this has happened to me. And I don't know if you've had this problem. Sometimes you're like, this parenting group seems fine. And then you're just like, I think these parenting group are white supremacists and evangelicals. (laughs) They're like really, really vocal.
4: Yeah. Well, there was there was a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff in parenting where I'm like oh, I get it, so I totally have to accept all of your point Because that's considered um, the majority. But my viewpoint, which might be the minority, should never be spoken. Got it. Mm -hmm, (laughs) Got mm -hmm. it. And then just having weird hours, there's nothing out there for that. And I know, like, obviously comics work weird hours. But so do medical professionals and people that work in security. And, like, there's a lot of people that work night jobs. Yet every parenting thing is like, oh, you need time for yourself? Just get up at 6. It's like, yeah, well, what if I go to bed at 2? So just no (laughs) sleep for me at all? That's fine. (laughs) got it all right thank you for that gripping advice so and then i i just noticed too that i did and i really appreciate that um compliment liz is that there were more people bringing on stage stuff about being a parent and i think just about being a woman it was more like i don't care what you think of me this is the truth i no longer am here to seek your approval on my experience of living this life and i did find in the beginning you know some people would be like oh i got to make sure uh you know like are you gonna do a lot of parenting stuff and you're set tonight because that was still seen as i don't know niche and i was like oh i get it Mm -hmm. so when there's seven white guys in hoodies back to back on a show all talking about their dicks to a crowd that is filled with all kinds of people that's a universal <laughs> That's you know, or, and also,
1: too, if if those dicks happen to talk about parenting, it's hilarious oh, it's when hilarious. they talk oh, my about goodness. How, how um how much they are terrible at it or just are absentee about it. It's like, isn't it great that I'm just like I, I do I, like the whole babysitting thing? Oh. I mean, a lot of male comedians <laughs> babysit their cats
4: yeah Uh yeah so there was a lot that i was like i find this interesting i want to push up against i want to talk about this there's more and more stand-ups i also think there was like a thing i don't know are we building an army more and more stand-ups i knew quite recently made the choice to have a kid and whatever or acquire a kid so i was like why is this happening now because we're all different ages and we're all different places in our lives so what is that is it that there is there more space in this profession for that I don't know. So I was also aiming to figure that out. I feel like we got to make our
3: space in general like all yeah. like all of us like like women, you know what I mean, people people who are not cis men. <laughs> we got to we have to like find and make our space. Um I'm excited to have personally to have someone who is a parenting podcast on our abortion podcast because most people who have abortions are parents and I find in fact women and birthing people in my life have said that like once they went through the pregnancy and parenting womb hole <laughs> that their abortion stance just became a little, uh, just a lot stronger. Right. And again, that's my personal experience. Have you yeah. that out for yourself?
4: Yeah. And I, you know, I don't know the statistics on this and I'm sure you guys have probably covered it, but uh, uh, we don't well, do statistics here. Sorry. A- a- anecdotally, I would say many uh, people I have talked to recently, they had one kid. They did not want to have another kid. Mm-hmm. But they did get pregnant and they had an abortion. The, the amount of people that is the primary story yes, of my friends and abortions. <laughs>
1: 65. The stat
4: is 65% of people who've had abortions are already parenting. Yeah. Yes. Because you know what you're talking about. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> like... that, It's like it's you know, and I have um we've talked, I've talked about this a lot. You know, Jesse Klein, uh, who is a comedy writer, she was the first guest we had on the show that just released a couple days ago, and we were talking about you know, not wanting another and just what, and like not wanting one before and not wanting another. And that's how it goes and how we would have, we would do whatever necessary in our lives to uphold that decision. Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, hold and i hold that decision for
3: anybody. Like for me, I'm like, I'm the same. I'm like, no, oh, I, I have that one. That's right. Yeah. But also like I'll hold that decision for anyone. And also like, <gasps> don't do this if you don't
4: want to, please. Don't do this if you don't want to. <laughs> please. <Absolutely. laughs> so, yeah. And I just like even saying that and I could tell when we were saying that to each other that we totally agreed. But I would have this feeling of like, I'm going to throw this out in this podcast and I bet it's going to make people uncomfortable to hear that. And it drives me. In, I mean it's a lot it's just a lot all the time to go like oh it's all of a sudden this is a touching point oh all of a sudden this is a touching point so all the more reason
1: having said that and i love that you are just like all the fucks are gone <laughs> i don't care <laughs> what I'll is try. something that you want to tell people that nobody told you like the fucking thing that's like i don't care if this you need to know this about parenting
4: you know the the one thing that uh, I I feel very suspicious of the monetization of the medical field. And I think uh, in America, that is a big thing with insurance. As a Canadian, I'm, I, I just walked into this country being like, what do you mean? Like, I remember going to see a doctor and they asked me first how I was gonna pay. And I was like, how rude of you. The doctor hasn't even seen me yet. How rude of you to ask for, I thought it was actually rude. Now I'm used to it. Uh, what but- privilege. <laughs> Can you believe I just took it as impolite? Is there anything more Canadian than that? <laughs> That's hysterical. <laughs> but I chose to not do a midwife. Like I chose to have a uh, hospital supported pregnancy and birth, given the choice. And I found that I really, you have to seek the doctors that um, you communicate well with because I was a high risk patient due to my age and everything else. Um, I think the medical system is very mean to women. I think childbirth is still kind of talked about as like a witchcraft, like it's witchcraft for some reason. And half of it, they're like, oh, you'll see later. And you're like, why? (laughs) Why will I see later? This is happening all the time. How about we just talk about it now? And I've met this geneticist I had to do genetic testing because, you know, first I was over 40 and then Jewish, they, they take the biggest binder out of the bookshelf ever on that one, sort <laughs> leafing through it. And uh, I just remember this geneticist who was super smart saying to me, here's something that, that you're not going to hear about how they talk about women and pregnancy. They're going to throw statistics at you, but all these things that, are, that you are going to be in high-risk categories for and things can go wrong. She goes, but you are creating my data. The good data is coming from you because the data we're using in the past, we knew nothing about these women. We didn't know if they were, what kind of medical shape they were in. We didn't know anything about their history. We didn't know where they lived, if they smoked, blah, blah. she goes, we don't know anything. And this is the statistics that we're putting other women through and they are mentally tortured by. So you'll do what you have to do, but realize that you're actually helping me because you're creating my science.
3: Wow. I just want to jump in and say, this is my week of understanding that medicine knows nothing about women, period. <laughs> nothing,
4: nothing.
1: Not a damn
3: thing. Moji's yeah. on a
1: tear because there I was an article to. where doctors didn't know how the clitoris works and they were chopping people. It's like a mess.
3: They know nothing about the clitoris. They know nothing about the clitoris. Can you imagine? They know nothing uh, about birthing people. Can you imagine?
1: Oh, Yeah. I can't like half.
3: Like half the population doesn't do it half the time.
4: Yeah, I. You know, I was talking. Someone was telling me a young woman was telling me how in in um, summer camp the counselors took her and a bunch of friends aside and showed them how to really properly give a bl- good blowjob. I was like, were they taking the guys aside and showing them how to what? like go down on a woman properly? Because as far as I can tell, that is the class that is required. Yes. Yes.
1: Yep. What? <laughs> All right, even
4: do. just some finger action. simple just things. Can I just ask for anything <laughs> simple? Or how about you start with this? Ask a question. Anyway. <laughs> we're going down the wall. Wo- 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 Anyways. We're, we're just going, going down, like- down the womb. <laughs> <hole. laughs> <laughs> but I did find that interesting. Just like the thing about like, wow, that is still happening. I mean, that is obviously very specific, but still. Yes. No, doctors not knowing anything. <laughs> about the clitoris seems to me. <laughs>
3: It was in the New York Times this week, and I'm still thinking about it. I'm still talking about it. That was like Monday.
2: (laughs) Speaking of the news, one of the reasons why we love to talk to comics is because while this everything is off our world, you all give us a reason to hang on. How do you go about
4: curating your news? How do you go about choosing what to talk about, what to walk away from? I do a lot of uh, like little bit of this a lot of escapism i only read my news i try i I try to stay away i don't like watching news on tv honestly Ah, i can't handle it i don't like it i don't like how it's being given to me so i prefer to read it and my television is for all my escape stuff fun box versus where i get my news and then i also i used to if maybe everybody else does this too do a look a lot on twitter and i'm like no more social media for my news that because you know it's just so easy to not look at the lens that it's coming from or yep. through and uh go like oh my goodness and even at times i try to sometimes just go people have to make news because wh- what kind of headlines sell news and just always think about that i actually yeah. was at a women in science event last night like where they were giving away grants oh, to nice. all women scientists Incredible. yeah lies.
2: it's a that's a whole it's a whole yeah party. it's called hey. wings
4: world quest and it was this big gala where they have all these scientists working in a variety of different fields. And I was talking to this woman who uh, basically studies dust, as she was telling me to inform. And I was like, well, that sounds depressing, right? The dust is even getting worse. Is the dust even getting worse? <laughs> is it? I want to know. Is the dust well, getting worse? she said, she goes, oh, I'm not one of those doom and gloom scientists. That's like a school of thought. And I was like, that's a school of thought? That isn't I isn't like a that's science? Science? <laughs> Yeah, and she was like, oh, no. No, that's a school. That's of a thought. choice. You're saying that's a choice. Yeah. that's a choice.
1: Oh my god! Well, I want to know. Since you brought it up, what is in your fun box? Oh, I am. <laughs> the most,
4: yeah, my my fun box on every level is pretty pedestrian. I like it. I like it pretty uh, pretty straight ahead there.
1: No, I mean, me too. Let me tell you, I'm like, <laughs> I'm watching every show that I watch to escape. I can have only have conversations about it with like eighth grade girls. <laughs> I'm no, like, you watch Never Have I Ever? And like, oh my God. No. That's pretty good. I'm,
3: I'm actually watching that too, Liz. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay, then I don't feel so bad. But I'm
1: obsessed with what like high school kids and middle school kids are going through because also the shows are like, full of queer kids and people who are just Fun. like around and like they tackle issues and like oh my god i was having massive mental health issues in eighth grade and i can't imagine addressing that on the brady bunch you know
4: it's like so <laughs> oh my god oh, yeah 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 Where it was just like
1: more pie yeah <laughs> it's true um, so what else are you doing other than the pod? Are you doing some stand-up? Are you back in it? What's happening?
4: Doing some stand-up. Yeah, stand-up is, uh, it's a pretty interesting world out there in New York, stand-up. I mean, the clubs are packed, which always feels, I mean, I just think like I must be, I'm just microdosing COVID all the time at this <laughs> yeah. point, pretty yes. much. Uh, <laughs> it's amazing how it's over due to mutual decision. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the the crowds are back in their regular. And by that, I just mean right after when we were coming back I think there was this feeling like oh my god everyone is like gonna be the nicest most well behaved uh, like receiving crowds ever uh and now it's back to like you know kind of too drunk and I do think that people have forgotten how to really appear in public still they haven't they're there they put on the shirt and the shoes and they have a wallet for full of money but they actually don't know how to act
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah. The, awkward, mm-hmm. the awkward is very real. It is definitely real. Well, Ophira, we could talk to you all day. I'm so excited about your podcast. I'm oh, so, you so excited much. about all the things that you do. You're one of the funniest people I know. And if you don't know Ophira, please try and find her for appearances and tour dates. You can go to OphiraEisenberg.com, follow her on social media at OphiraE on Insta and Twitter at Ophira NYC on TikTok and listen to her new podcast, Parenting is a Joke, and follow that Parenting is a Joke on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, all of that will be in our show notes. Ophira Eisenberg, please come by anytime.
4: Oh, my pleasure. I love talking to you all. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you again, Ophira. And thank you, Dahlia, for joining us again. You can purchase Dahlia's book, Lady Justice, at bookstores and online right now. And thank you so much for listening. We are here for you as we navigate these dark days. We want to be a reliable info hub and a source of humor as we face some really hard times together. We are in this together. We got you.
3: Subscribe, write a review, give us five stars. It's the best way for our podcast to reach more people. And by doing so, you are helping more people learn about this assault on abortion access. To keep up on the latest Repro News, follow us at social... Abortion Front on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. FBK Live is edited by Remy Tournay and is produced by Abortion Access Front.
2: Looking for where you might fit in some abortion activism? Look no further than our five-part training series, Operation Save Abortion, available in video and podcast form. Gather friends, watch or listen together, and follow the activity guide for a full experience. Details on the series are at operationsaveabortion.com. Looking for some
3: action? Like to be a part of the solution action? This week, early voting has started in many states. So while you're thinking about who you want to represent you, take the time to examine what your city could be doing to protect reproductive health care. Check out NIRH's Local Reproductive Freedom Index, linked in our show note, to start planning out the changes you can push for in your city. Never forget that your elected officials work for you. When you head over to operationsaveabortion.com, you can also watch our video on state and local advocacy to get your training started in pushing for local policy change. And on this page, there are many other local and national actions and educational opportunities when you click the activist calendar.
4: That's
1: right. And appearance alert by me. That's right. It's a narcissism update. Uh, I'm doing my year-end review shows in the Twin Cities at the Parkway Theater. If you want to see this year skewered the way it should be, ripped through the shreds, dragged for filth, you can do that for two nights in Minneapolis, December 30th and 31st. Tickets info are at theparkwaytheater.com. Next week's guest, writer, performer, and producer Sarah Jones, whose documentary sell-by date is premiering on Amazon November 8th will be joining us. Plus, Pamela Merritt, Executive Director of Med Students for Choice, will be here to talk about the challenges of finding abortion provision training, not only in the post-dobs world, but especially in the post-dobs world.
2: And lastly, join our Patreon. You'll support great content and get cool FBK merch and experiences. All all (laughs) pledges support this pod and all our activism at Abortion Access Front. Pledge at Patreon.com slash Feminist Buzzkills. And we leave you with a
3: man who should have taken a double dose of Liagra before he decided to show us his
1: whole ass. Of the matter are women are dumber than men. Women should be subservient to men. Women have no place in male activities. Women have no place of partaking in the workforce. Women have no place of partaking in politics. Women have no place outside of the home. The home is a virtuous place for women. Women should be happy when they are in the home. Women should be grateful when a man puts a roof over her head and supplies the family with food and resources and energy and structure. That is what women should be thankful for, ladies and gentlemen.
0: Feminist BuzzKills Live, the podcast from Abortion Access Front. When BS is popping, we pop off. New episodes drop Friday. If you want to support our podcast and all the work of Abortion Access Front, like, subscribe, and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash feministbuzzkills.